I think about all that's going on in our world, and each and every Sunday I get up with so much on my heart and mind to preach and share. Uh, I thought this morning, I look at my clock, it's only 10.04, so I have actually two hours to preach to you, according to the pulpit clock, so you'll get a long sermon. No, I'm just joking. But uh, think of everything that's going on in the world with the big bear up to the north, attacking Ukraine like that, and the whole world stands by and does nothing. You know, they're outnumbered what? I think 10 to 1, someone has said, it's like a guy in a firefight giving him one gun to fight 10 people. And, you know, back when Kuwait was invaded, America jumped in. They weren't NATO. And so things are changing. And we know in the end when Israel invade, I mean, when uh, Russia, if they are the big bear, there's only two countries north of Israel, so they're probably the big bear. Enter Israel, only Jesus will be there to help Israel. Think of that. Right now, you know, I, I, uh, Ukraine is fighting a, a battle alone. So pray our world's in a mess. And our country's in a mess. This, all this political correctness. You know the candy bar payday? Do you like it? It's got the nuts and the nougat. It's good, isn't it? Not that I've ever tried one, but they are so good. They're changing the name of payday because it's offensive to people who do not work. It's a bad joke, but uh, we're looking at Ruth this morning, the book of Ruth, chapter 1. We will finish chapter 1. We'll begin today in verse 19. We will repeat this five-minute segment, or probably less than that, each and every week. Ruth is a great book written by Samuel a 1,000 to 1,100 years ago. She lived during the time of the judges. We're not sure exactly when, but during the time of the judges. And this book is read annually at various, at the Feast of the Pentecost. Uh, there are five books read annually in, in Israel at these different feasts. Of course, you have Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations. But Ruth is read at harvest time, the time of Pentecost, publicly. It's a story of redemption. What a great story it is with so many types. Remember, Naomi is a type of Israel. Uh, you remember God was fed up with Israel and uh, they were scattered into all the world. Israel was the bride of Christ. You, you know all about that. Here's Naomi. She's living in Moab. She's temporarily lost her inheritance. One day it'll be redeemed. Her Redeemer will get it back for her. Amen. Israel one day return and their Redeemer will get them their land back. And they'll have all the way to the Euphrates River, all the way up into Lebanon, down to the river of Egypt and the Mediterranean. They're going to have it all one day, but the Lord will have to get it back for them. So she's a type of Israel. Ruth, Moabitess, according to chapter 4, I believe, verse 10, Ruth is a type of the church, an alien who ends up being a slave, a servant in the fields. Ruth is a type of the bride of Christ because she's a slave to sin. She's a Gentile. And yet she's grafted and she's brought in by her Redeemer, Boaz, as a type of the great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So all this typology, Boaz, born in, from Bethlehem, where David was born and where Jesus was born, David's hometown. And so all these things point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great story. We're going to look today at chapter 19. Stand with me and read, if you will. It says in chapter 19, so they, <clears throat> so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. 1.19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass 
when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? The whole city is excited. They're moved. They're kind of shocked because she's been gone. She left with her husband, had two children, and, and came back from Moab. Verse 20, and she said unto them, and this is important, call me not Naomi. It means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. That's what her name meant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me Mara. I'm teaching. I need to read so you can sit. For the Almighty, that's El Shaddai, hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. God bless us. I don't know what you have in store, but I know that you've prepared our hearts with music and testimonies, and, and you just, you've just been here today. We thank you for your presence. We know you never leave us nor forsake you, but it's awfully nice to be in church and feel that you are here with us preparing hearts and speaking through your word as it never returns void. And Lord, I don't deserve to stand here. I don't deserve to be saved. But God, you've appointed this day. You know who's here. You know what's needed. And I pray you'll just speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at verse 19, we understand that they return. The city's moved. They're shocked. And then we pick up in verse 20. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Look back at chapter 1, verse 13, the last part of the verse says here, the Lord is gone out against me. You ever feel like that? The Lord is gone out against me. Now, we don't have a right to feel that way. God never makes mistakes. I shared the story of my dad losing a really good job and my dad being bitter about it for a while. My dad struggled with bitterness and that wonderful trait has been passed down to his son. And I struggle with it at times. There's been times I said, Lord, why are you doing this to me? You don't do this to this other preacher. Why are you doing this to me? And you, you think the thing, same thing sometimes, don't you? Lord, why me? Why are you doing this to me? And that's what Naomi felt here. She said, the Lord has gone out against me. Well, I'll tell you, if that were really true, we'd really be in trouble. The Lord wasn't against her. And here she said it to them, Call me not pleasant. Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Refer to me as bitter. As bitter. Judge me not. Judge not the Lord by a feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. When things are bad in your life, you have to remember something I've said in this pulpit. 20, 30 times, and I'll say it again. It's always going to be a theme. God is in control of everything. This world, a mess. Yet God's allowing it to self-destruct. Our country, a mess. God allows it. We reap what we sow. Your life with all the distractions and disruptions and distractions, God is in control. He allows for these things to happen. I love James chapter one, which James chapter one, which teaches us that trials develop us. You want to be a strong Christian? How many want to be a strong Christian? 
I remember when I was young, I'd hear my great pastor preach. Sometimes I'll hear him on Moody, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll read from his book or whatever books he's written, and I, I think about what a great preacher was. And I remember when he used to preach, and I would sit there and think, I wish I could be a great Christian like my pastor. And I used to think he had a perfect life. He knew Scripture, and he could expound Scripture, and I'd mark my Bibles, and I'd be so excited to hear my pastor preach, and I was like 18, 19 years old. Love to hear preaching. Loved to want to be like my pastor. And then I've learned over the years that trials made my pastor what he was. As I read his life story written by another, and they talked about things he had gone through, and then he had shared stories, and I think, wow, he really had some hard times in his life. And I think of other people I look up to and admire and see what God's done in their life and realize that they are what they are because of trials. Trials make us patient. Trials develop us. And without trials, you wouldn't be anything for God. So when you say, I'd like to be a good Christian, you had better expect trials. God's preparing you for eternity. And we look here at Naomi saying, don't call me. Naomi. And then she goes on to say the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the God who's in control of Shaddai is what she says, had, had dealt bitterly with me. Later she says, He's testified against me. Then she said, He's afflicted me. She's all mad at God. And she's making a choice. We talked about our three-point outline. Bread to bake, a journey to make, and now choices to make. She's making a choice. She's making a choice that many people make in life and oftentimes a choice that many Christians make. She's choosing to be bitter. That's a choice. I have a little thing on my desk. Bitterness is poison you drink expecting others to suffer. Bitterness is a poison you drink expecting others to suffer. And on my desk I have this little phrase written down. Bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Anxiety and worry is believing that God can't handle it, but bitterness is believing God got it wrong. I'm bitter because of this thing in my life. And it's a result of not forgiving others. Or it can be a result of not forgiving God, even though God's never made a mistake. We don't, God doesn't need our forgiveness. He's perfect. But how many people are mad at God? People will call me sometimes and people will talk to me and they'll tell me how terrible life's been to them and they begin to pour out all this bitterness. And I can see, wow, this person's really got a problem with bitterness. She is choosing here, Naomi, to be bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because God's been unfair with me. Look at all the stuff God's done to me. Let me tell you something. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, I'll say that a lot as well. Because God has created in us an eternal being. Do you know before you were saved, you were condemned already? You were an eternally, eternal being, an eternal being destined for hell. When you got saved, He already gave you at the time of your salvation eternal life. You began to live eternally. We're eternal beings. This little segment of life is just a speck. I say that all the time. It's just a speck. Start to view things from an eternal perspective. Please get that. 
If I were to die and go to heaven today, I, I hope that everyone who ever heard me preach would get that in their mind. Life is an eternal thing. View it from an eternal perspective. We don't understand what's going on now in our lives, in our world. I want God to just get involved, don't you? Guess what? He is involved. In fact, He's in control. Maybe the rapture is going to take place. Maybe that's why it's all happening. I don't know. But God's involved and He's in control. And so we have this problem of bitterness. Look at 1 Samuel today, chapter 1 and verse 10. I love this. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. Just a few, three or four pages over. You're in Ruth, three, four pages to your right. Samuel. And when you know the story here, Hannah wanted a baby. She couldn't get pregnant. What does it say? And she was in bitterness, chapter 1, verse 10. In bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept sore. She was really upset that she couldn't have a child. Every Jewish woman wanted to have a child, especially a man, because they wanted to be the parent or the ancestor of the Redeemer. They all wanted a child. They studied the Old Testament. They wanted to be the father of the Christ and the Messiah. They all understood Isaiah. Chapter 9 and verse 6, or Isaiah 7, 14, excuse me. And so she couldn't have a child. And she's bitter. She's bitter. And she says, God, if you just give me a child, I'll give that child back to you. And you know what she did when that child was weaned? Two or three, some believe four or five. She, she carried that child and gave him to the temple and he stayed there the rest of his life. Think of that. You're going to have a baby. Give that baby to Jesus. All of you need to dedicate your babies to the Lord and say, God, I want you to use my child as a missionary or a preacher. God, he's going to be your child. That's what we should do with our children. All of us should say, God, take our children and use them for you. But she was bitter. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You need to mark this in your Bible. There's two things we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Remember, it's a choice. Love is a choice. You know, a lot of people get married, they have that fuzzy feeling, they think, oh, I'm going to have that fuzzy feeling for 50 years, and they don't always have that fuzzy feeling. It's like what I said that, Lady was holding a conference saying, how many of you want to mother your children? And none of the hands went up, one hand went up back, and you know the joke. And she said, you want to mother? She said, no, I, want, I thought you might want to smother my husband. Yeah. Hey, marriage, it's fuzzy, it's great. And then that wears off. And love is what keeps you committed. You make a choice to love. What is love? It's giving. For God so loved the world that he, agape means to give of yourself. It's a choice. And bitterness is just like that. We choose to be bitter. She said, God made me bitter. No, God didn't make her bitter. She chose bitterness. Look at Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 and 15. It says here, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Looking diligent, lest any man fall of the grace of God. And here's what I want you to see lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness is defiling. Bitterness causes you trouble. And here it says there's a root of bitterness. 
I have a good friend. He's a psychologist, which is not a bad word, by the way. The word psych is our word soul. Logos is a word, word. And so, you know, it's someone who takes the word. He's a Christian and they help our soul. So don't be afraid of the word psychologist. I don't believe a lost psychologist can help me, but he's a wonderful Christian man. And he shared something with me that's interesting about forgiveness. He said, there's several things that we all need to understand about forgiveness. First of all, we have to choose to forgive. If you choose not to forgive somebody, you know what's going to happen? You're drinking that poison that you think is going to hurt them and it's going to hurt you. Bitterness hurts the person who's bitter. It doesn't hurt all the people they glare at. You know, that passive-aggressive behavior. Someone comes up, how you doing? Fine. You're bitter, so you want them to know. It's called passive-aggressive. He said, first of all, and we know this, we have to choose to forgive. See, you can harbor resentment towards somebody who's wronged you. And the stories I've heard over the years are 65 years that I've been alive. I've met people who had people steal all their life savings. You've heard those stories. And they didn't get it back. I've had people share with me things that have happened to them. One of my sons, this shocked me, blew me away. At a conference by people who have been molested, one of my sons walked forward in that conference, and I never knew. It only happened one time, but a man put his hands on him. And I had mixed emotions. I was embarrassed what happened to us as parents. How do we miss, how do we let him alone with a creep like that, you know? And then a rage got in me, and I thought, I'm going to find out who this is, and I'm going to get on a plane, and wherever this guy is, this is 30-some years ago, but a rage came into me, and I, boy, I still worked the bag. I could take that guy out. That's the way I felt. That's the way I felt. I wanted to just beat somebody senseless. And for a few days, it really bugged me. And I kept saying, can't you think of it? No, Dad, I was a kid, and I don't know where you were, but I remember him putting his hands on me. And, and he, 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 he said, Dad, I'm fine. I, I've recovered. I'm fine, Dad. Uh, it hasn't affected me. I just, I just remember what I felt like at that time. Dad, I want you to know I'm okay, and don't please don't let this bother you. Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that I didn't know who it was back then. I wouldn't be a pastor today. I'd be in jail because I'd have beat that guy till he's dead, probably. That's the way I feel. I don't like those kind of perverts. I'm sorry, pedophile. But here's the thing. I had to make a choice. And I've had other things in my life that have happened to me that have been difficult to get over. But if you've been molested or you've been mistreated or you've been robbed or you've been hurt, you're going to make a choice in your life. You're going to say, I'm going to forgive, but you know what? It's tough to forgive. It's a choice, but guess what? You may need God's help in that. Brother Steve said to me, here's the second thing I know. Sometimes we have to ask God to give us grace to forgive. You see, he has all that grace and mercy, doesn't he? He can do that because he's God. But we have the human flesh involved. And we need God's help and forgiveness. And so sometimes we have to say, God, help me to forgive this person because I can't stand this person. I want to kill this person. I want to get even with this person. You know the rage it builds in you when you've been wrong. What do we have to do, folks? God, I want to forgive them. I really do, but I need your grace. 
I can't do it without you. And God can give us the grace. But if you don't do that, you have a root of bitterness. And you know how hard it is to get a root out. That way down deep, I have these little things that grow in my garden, these little purple flowers, and they're really considered a weed. And I go out and dig them, and they have these big, thick roots, and I dig them, and I dig them, and they come back a week later, I get so mad at them. I can be a child sometimes, yes. And I think about those deep-rooted little flowers. And when I'm thinking about the root of bitterness, you've met people, You've been around people with a root of bitterness and you always know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe here to you today, you're the one with that root. You haven't let go. Aren't you glad God let go and forgave you when you had hurt Him? The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. James says you adulterers and adulteresses know you not that when you love the world, you're cheating on God, and that's a paraphrase, but all of us as Christians have cheated on God. We have, we have. We've all committed spiritual adultery because we love the world too much. We hold on, that baby's born, and their fists are clenched. They don't want to let go. Little innocent baby. No, they're sinners already. When they learn to talk, they say, Mine! Mine, I had two of my grandsons. One was three and one was like one and a half. And they were doing, it was like a saw. Mine, 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 mine. We love the world and the things of the world and that means we're cheating on God. We don't give to what God calls us to give to. We don't let go of what's ours and really it's all God's. So you see, we've done a lot to God. And we, we, we are gracious. We are thankful for God's graciousness towards our lives and His mercy to all. We're so thankful. Yet when it comes to other people, the standards change. They did this to me. And we all know bitter people. And if they had a, have a root of bitterness, we realize it affects everything they do. I'm not going to say which weekend, but I preach Last week, I traveled up to Virginia and preached, did a Passover at 10 and preached at 11. And then I got in my car and drove four hours to North Carolina for an evening service and, and ministered there, uh, did a Passover there. And uh, along the way of these many weeks that I preach and travel, I meet people and oftentimes they're bitter. And had a man come up to me and just spew out bitterness in his life. He wasn't mad at me, but the bitterness was oozing out of him, and I just thought to myself, I really don't want to be around this guy anymore. You know why? That bitterness just was repulsive. You, you see it in people, don't you? And they just, and you just back up and think, man, that person's really troubled. They're really angry. It's bitterness. They've never let go, and they haven't forgiven. They don't exercise the grace and mercy towards others. They want it from God, but they don't give it to anyone else. Sometimes it's just a little thing. Just a little thing. Well, she got a promotion that I deserved. And so we... 
And, and we run that person down, and we run the boss down, and we, nobody at work really wants to be around us. You know, it, when you come in and you sit your coffee down at a table and everybody moves away from where you are, you've got to get the hint, folks. Something's wrong with you. And that dumb joke I always tell about Lindberger cheese, you know. The guy who said, something stinks in this room. And then he goes out, something stinks in the belly, and he goes outside, the whole world stinks away, a little Limburger cheese stuck in his mustache. The problem was right under his nose. And we don't realize it. We, we, we think nobody likes us. Nobody wants to be around us because we're miserable, and we, they feel miserable when they're around us. They don't want to be around us because they're going to be depressed after five minutes with us because we have such a negative attitude. We're mad at the world. I meet Christians still mad at an election, still mad. And I'm like, you know, I know, I, I don't, I'm not crazy about our leadership, but I'm supposed to pray for our leaders. I can't stand some of the decisions they're making. But if I, I live my life bitter about an election, I don't realize God's in control. Something's wrong with me. God doesn't make mistakes. Huh? Things that happened years ago, I found a property, I was buying a, trying to buy rentals, and I found a piece of property that the bank was foreclosing, and I knew the previous owner, and they told me what was owed on the property, which really, that's secret information. So I went to the bank, and I knew exactly what to bid, and I bid just a little over what was owed, and I knew I was going to get the property. Well, that inside information was supposed to be confidential to the bank, and someone at the bank said to someone else, there's a bid on that property, and it's got to be sold because the bid is enough to get the property. Go bid this just a little more than that person. You go get it, and they got it. It was, an insist- it was inside information. It wasn't supposed to happen. I knew it happened. And they told me, well, somebody just outbid you by just a couple bucks, you know. And I went home, uh, you know, didn't like it. Didn't like the bank. Didn't like the bank president. Didn't like the teller. Didn't like the person who bought it. Didn't like this. Didn't like that. And I said, what's wrong with me? That place may be full of termites. God God had a reason for not giving me that property. That's just a little illustration in my life. So you can understand the little little illustrations in your life. And that's a little thing. Some of us experience big things. But there's a root, and we've got to get the root out. She says in verse 21, Ruth 1, 21, I went out full and the Lord brought me back home empty. Yeah. She left pleasant, returned bitter. She left with Elimelech and ended up having two sons and came back with just Ruth. She left during famine, came back during harvest, but she said, I left full and the Lord brought me back with nothing. My husband died. My son's died. I've got nothing. I I can imagine the pain of that. So I'm not belittling Naomi. I understand the pain of losing two sons and a husband. That had to be very hard, especially to lose two two sons. Many people you know that have lost kids. No one wants to bury a kid or a grandkid. And she said, I left with everything and came back with nothing. And then she said here, the Lord had testified against me. Exodus chapter 20 says not to bear false witness. Of course, God didn't. But she's saying God testified against me. God's against me. The judge of all is against me. 
this week I was called to jury duty and the judge got up and said, uh, <clears throat> now 125 of you are going to be selected to jury and there's 135 of you here. Well, I'm a preacher, so I knew I wouldn't be selected. <laughs> they don't, you'd think they'd want a pastor in there because he'd have grace and mercy and he'd want the law followed, but they don't want preachers to defend the, the defense, the defendant. <laughs> The defendant's lawyer does public defender doesn't want a preacher on there because they're afraid to convict, I guess, or something. So I sat there and I listened now, and sure enough, I got down, got a little embarrassed, and I thought, of course, I'm not going to be selected. They called the last alternates. I was listening for my name. I never got called. And that's that's fine, because it had been two weeks of work for me. But I sat there and thought about judges and 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 what they have to go through just to be a judge. And, and all the people I know that have gone for custody battles and how many people I know that got up and lied to get custody of their kids and lied to judges. Oh, he beats me or she beats me or he does this or he does that. I thought, that's terrible. But today people raise their hand in court and I swear to tell the truth and lie up and down. That's a serious charge. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And she says, God's testified against me. How many people do I know that testify? I, I lie under oath. Just watch these shows. It's amazing to me. I, I like Judith Shimley. She's uh, rude and crude and mean and all that. She's a Jewish lady. Five o'clock. She's on. And boy, she'll say, you lazy bum. And she'll say to someone else, look at who you've married. You're, you make dumb choices. Look at him. And I'm like, she's unbelievably crude lady. She's Jewish, and she seems like she's an unhappy person. But everyone raises her hand. I'm going to tell the truth. In every case, someone's lying. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Trust God. You know, and I, I realize that's, that's off the subject, but the fact is she's saying the Lord testified against her, and God didn't. And she says, the Almighty hath afflicted me. She didn't understand. And we've said this before, and you already know the rest of the story because you've read the book of Ruth. Paul Harvey used to say, page two. Now the rest of the story. You remember him? And uh, you know the rest of the story. You know page two. Because Ruth ends up being in the lineage of Christ, and Naomi's Name is in the Word of God and recorded forever and ever in God's Word. But she didn't get that. Like you don't get it. That the hard times in your life can be worth it all if you trust God. If you just say, Lord, I accept these trials, help me to somehow have joy in this because I really, I really want to be bitter. I need your help, Lord, to be gracious and to have joy. Count it all joy. Oh, really? We have to learn, folks, that he makes everything beautiful in his time. And this story ends up being beautiful, doesn't it? In closing, let me just say several things. When you think God's been harsh with you and unfair with you, mistreated you, think of Ruth and Naomi's blessing for eternity. The lineage of Jesus. When you think God hasn't blessed you and He hasn't been fair to you, think of Hannah's blessing. And when you don't forgive others, think of the missed blessing. 
Because when you don't forgive, you miss a blessing. And Brother Steve went on to say, there's one more thing, Brother Dan, about forgiveness. We make the choice, we ask God for grace, but there'll always be emotional pain connected to the tragedy you experienced. You have to make the choice and God has to give you grace to forgive, but you know what? The pain may be there for a long, long time, but you cannot go back and pick up on bitterness again. You need to root it out. Amen? Jesus forgave us, and we have to forgive others. Look at Exodus 15, and we'll close with this. Exodus chapter 15. I love this story. In fact, I believe I preached from this. Exodus chapter 15, verses 23 to 25. We won't read it, but you get there and you can mark it. Israel needed water, and they came upon a place here in verses 23. And the Bible said the waters of Marah, what does that mean? We're bitter. So they find this water and it's bitter. And the Bible said, verse 24, the people murmured, they complained. Why? Yeah, well, we need water and it's bitter. What's going on? And God said, take a tree. Take this tree and throw in that water. It'll make the water sweet. What an object lesson. Did you know there's a tree in your life? Verse 25, you can read it later. That God's placed into your life called Calvary. And that place, that tree can make all your bitterness sweet. As a Christian especially, we should understand the grace of God and forgiveness. They took this tree in verse 25. And the Lord showed them a tree. And we had cast into the waters. The waters are made sweet. And if you're not saved today, salvation can help your bitter water become sweet. And if you are saved, you know that you can bring those things to the cross and you can leave them there and God can give you a sweetness in your life. You don't have to live bitter, folks. You can be sweet. There's nothing like older people who've walked with God. They get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. You can tell they've been with Jesus. And there's nothing like old people that are mean and grouchy and you think, ooh, some of them profess to be Christians. And you don't want to be around them because they're just so discontent and unhappy. And you're like, whoa. But that sweet person, you know the difference? A tree's made a difference in their life. And they've made the choice and asked for grace to forgive and turned it over to the Lord, and he's just made things sweeter. You can forgive. It's a choice you make. Naomi chose bitterness. I'm sure later when her land was redeemed and she saw Ruth taken in by Boaz, she began to change and reflect on her life. We don't have uh, her saying, I'm sorry for being bitter, but we're certain there was a change in her life. But let me tell you something. Some of you need a change in your life right now. You're either lost or you're not walking with God because you have bitterness. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, Father, for sending your Son for a tree that can make our bitter water sweet. Thank you for the example of Naomi 
Lord, help us not to have a root of bitterness, but to realize that we need to ask you for help and get grace to forgive. But we can forgive because you allow us forgiveness. And you say, if, if we don't forgive, we don't have fellowship with you. You've told us that, Lord. Help us to remember that. And if we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. And that's why we're miserable. That's why we're bitter, because we don't forgive and you don't forgive us. Our fellowship is broken. Our sin's paid for, but God, our fellowship as believers is broken. We, you know that. You teach us that. Help us to learn that. If there's anyone here who's not saved, God, I pray today they'll be saved. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.